Sky Caramba, June 4th through 10th, 2023. We start the week with a full moon. It's far south in the sky, so for northern hemisphere observers, it will be a low riser in the southeast as the sun goes down in the northwest. See the moon still somewhat close to the orange star Antares on Sunday evening this week, and the moon's at southern Lunastus, 27.9 degrees south of the equator on Monday. Then it's at perigee on Tuesday, so maybe the full moon will look a bit close and bright for southern hemisphere observers. The waning gibbous moon passes through Sagittarius during the first half of the week. Thursday and Friday morning, see it in Capricornus, and it's on to Aquarius for a rendezvous with Saturn on Saturday morning as the moon approaches last quarter. Gemini sets in the early evening. Venus is leaving the constellation behind for now. It marches into Cancer and seems ready to catch up to Mars. The red planet was just in the beehive cluster in the heart of the crab late last week. Venus is almost there as this week ends, and Mars doesn't get very far past it. And the two planets straddle the crab on Saturday evening. Venus starts the week at Dichotomy, or maybe it was at Dichotomy last week. That's its half-moon-looking phase, which you can see in a telescope. And in last week's podcast, I told you about a curious phenomenon which causes Venus to look that way about four days sooner than it should when it's in the evening sky. As Venus orbits closer to us, it will get bigger in a telescope and become a waning crescent. When Galileo saw the phases of Venus, he knew the planet is going around the sun and not the Earth. A crescent phase happens when most of the side that's lit is away from us. Saturn, holding still in Aquarius, gets a visit from the almost last quarter moon on Saturday morning. See the planet rising around midnight. This month is a very good one to see Saturn in a telescope. The big central gas ball is casting maximum shadow on the rings. You'll see the shadow west of the planet's disk. Next month, that dark slice will end closer to the planet's disk as the Sun, Earth, and Saturn get closer to being in a straight line. Around the end of August, if you have a good scope and some good eyes, you'll see some of the shadow emerge east of the planet's disk, while some of the shadow still shows west of it. Jupiter continues moving eastward above the head of Cetus the sea monster in the morning sky. It will get a close visit from a waning crescent moon on Wednesday morning next week. They'll be 1.4 degrees apart. Mercury's still a morning object and heading into Taurus. You can't see most of that constellation because the sun's in it. And Mercury's also at dichotomy when the week starts. Or because of a discrepancy similar to what happens with Venus, it may be at dichotomy in the middle of this week. A meteor shower peaks this week, but it's one that's hard to see. The daytime Ariatids shower peak is Wednesday. It's possible you'll see some of the meteors in the east in the morning twilight this week, but as the name should tell you, this is primarily a daytime shower. How can a meteor shower happen in the daytime? Well, meteors are always striking Earth's atmosphere, day and night. The meteors don't know if they're hitting the lit side or the dark side. They're just there in the way when Earth passes through the stream of tiny rocks. The daytime Ariatid shower that peaks on June 7th just happens to be one that strikes the atmosphere from the daytime side. 
Your next logical question is just how we know such a shower exists if we can't see it apart from a few that manage to light up where there's twilight. Radar detects these meteors, about one per minute on average at the peak. It's too bad we can't see this at night, because that'd be pretty awesome. Another way you may know it's happening is if you're into radio DXing. If you like listening to distant signals to hear what's coming in, you know that the ionospheric conditions change from one day to another, or even from hour to hour. And you probably know that the sun makes changes in the ionosphere in the daytime, and the charged particles spend all night recombining. That layer of particles allows radio waves and some frequency bands that would be on their way to outer space to instead reflect back to Earth hundreds or thousands of miles away from the antennas they came from. Meteors also charge particles high in the atmosphere. Some radio DXers try listening on different frequencies for signals that are suddenly there and then gone after a few seconds or minutes. The signals fade as the ionized meteor trail that's reflecting them fades. It's hard to identify the stations when you can't listen to them for very long, but DXers love the thrill. Ham radio operators get in on the action, too. They make very quick calls and replies, because if they don't get the information fast enough, the ionization that lets them talk many miles apart dissipates, and they don't know just what to write in their logbooks about who was talking to whom. Sky Caramba 